So Psalm 119, 73 through 80, this is what it says. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May, your, may my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Let's pray. Our Father, you have given us your word that it actually might light our path. Lord, that we may not, I pray that we may not ignore it but we would use it as what it is made to be, a lamp into our feet. Lord, your testimonies, the promises you have handed down to us so that we might know you are God, you are good, and you are sovereign. Lord, help us to meditate on your word, even in the midst of learning how to read it today. Lord, Lord give us understanding. Open our hearts and help us to see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've, uh, I'm prepping for leading our student ministry in uh, their retreat this week. So I've been, a lot of what student ministry is, if you've never done it before, um, is a teaching people who don't know how to read the Bible to read the Bible. Um, in foundational ways, that's kind of what's going on. And there's a lot of people, a lot of ways that we do that. Um, one way is to tell them what the Bible says, right? Another one is to show them what the Bible says. Another one is to show them how to find what the Bible says. Okay? And so that last one is really hard to teach over a short period of time. And so one of the hard, one of the ways that we try to accomplish that is through various topics. And so this year's um, retreats on biblical manhood and womanhood. And uh, if you've never had any study on what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like, um, I'm not going to invite you to Rainbow Springs uh, because we don't have enough room for you as far as beds go. But um, I, would, I would ask that you go to this podcast. It's called the Danvers Podcast. Um, it's the, by the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And they talk about the Danvers Statement, which is the statement on what do like. What do we mean by biblical manhood and womanhood? The Danvers statement is kind of like the standing statement for this is what the Bible says about biblical manhood and womanhood. <laughs> nice and simple. It sets it up in affirmations and denials. Like we affirm this, we, do, we don't affirm this. That's another way that you learn scripture. Notice uh, it's a question and answer. We, or it's almost like a question and answer, but we say this is what the Bible says, but we, mean, we don't mean it to mean this. Uh, we do not affirm, for instance, gender identity. We do affirm that God made them male and female, and he called it very good, right? So gender identity is a farce because it is completely made up in your mind. We have to have somebody else tell us what truth is, and the truth is that you are male or female. 
you are made in his image, and that matters, right? And so that's another way we learn how scripture talks to us. But if you were curious, that's kind of where we're going this whole week with the kids. They're not going to know that I'm teaching from the Danvers statement. They're not going to know that I'm teaching them in a particular way. Um, but my hope is that they will glean how to read the Bible for themselves by the end of it. Well, I only get three days. It's a hard task to accomplish when there's fishing and kayaking and a whole bunch of other things going on. But that's my hope and my prayer for them. And if you would pray for them, that would be great. Pray for them, pray for us. Um, myself, Sharon, and um, Allison Harvey are all going as the chaperones slash teachers. And if you would be so kind to offer us prayers for patience, amongst many other things, um, we would be greatly indebted to you. With that, Danvers, D-A-N-V-E-R-S. D-A-N. If you ever look at statements, by the way, and you see that they're like the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, um, the, the statements are always named for the place that they were written. So that's kind of where that that's coming from. I don't know where Danvers is. Now I think about it. I want to say North Carolina, but I could be wrong. Anybody know? Pennsylvania? Anybody? <coughs> we're, going, we're moving on. So last week, we talked about preparing our hearts um, to hear God's word. We also talked about the ways that we hear God's word um, over time. If you don't have one of these, uh, do you want one? Yeah. What? No. Would you like one? Somebody else have It's the same one we've been using because I'm slow and we can't get through anything. And it's not matter. Mostly because of me. Uh, I did. I am a thorough. Thorough, not slow. Okay, I like that word better. It's my word. Essex County, Massachusetts. Essex County. Oh, thank you, Massachusetts. Danvers, Massachusetts. Gotcha. Um, okay, um, but one thing that we talked about in hearing God's word was this list of things, and I, I this list of places that we hear God's word. Number one, our Sunday gatherings. Pretty easy. You hear God's word preached, sung. Read all those things um, in the Sunday gatherings. But another place is adult discipleship, where you are right now, um, is, a, is another novel way to hear God's word. Another way is through gospel communities and um, hearing the community of faith actually testify to God's faithfulness through their lives. That's what the gospel community is for, right? Uh, it's not necessarily just fellowship. It's not necessarily just Bible study, but it is about hearing the testimonies of God's faithfulness through your communities um, and letting it change you. Also, one-on-one one -on -one discipling relationships. We hear through that. Um, but I, I did bring this one warning, and I'm going to clarify what I meant. Uh, I, I warned against a particular outlet of hearing the word as your primary hearing of God's word. So I warned against um, the idea of having a podcast be the primary way that you hear and understand the Bible. Okay, and I, the reason why I warn against that is because there are a lot of good preachers out there. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, but they're, they're, my whole point was that their preaching is directed at their people. Right? So you all sit here every week, and Johnny or myself or Forrest are hearing, uh, we're, we're actually paying attention to who you are and the needs that you have, and we contextually apply the sermons to you. And they do the same things. So 
It's not that David Platt doesn't speak truth. He does um, most of the time. And if, just like the rest of us, most of the time we're speaking from the word of God. But here's the deal. David Platt's sermons are for his people, not necessarily for you directly. So does that mean you cannot learn anything from these guys? No. No, it means you can learn lots. But take their applications with a grain of salt and realize that their, um, their understanding of the Bible is being, or they're, they're not understanding the Bible, but their preaching of the word is crafted for their people. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to say is the primary mode of which we should hear the word is in our own churches um, because your pastors have been uh, gifted and been made responsible for how you hear the word. Okay, and so they are thinking about you particularly. So, um, yeah, my guess, good way of, of hearing the word, but not should not be your primary. Also, warning, um, and this has just been kind of like a novel thing since since COVID. All right, uh, something that I've noticed, something John's noticed. I'm pretty sure when I say it, he'll start to notice um, too. Is that people when they talk about sermons, they never, or they, they when they talk about sermons, they always um, pitting sermons and preachers against one another. So and so preaches this passage much better. You should listen to them. So and so preaches this passage much better. You should listen to them. And so, be careful that your brain does not get turned into this this pastor versus this pastor. Definitely not the pastor outside of this church and the pastor inside of this church. Because what's going to end up happening is it's going to just gross and bitterness that your pastor isn't the best preacher. I hate to break it to you, but he's the pastor he was, that was gifted to you by God. And so we are being, have been given this pastor, whoever it is preaching in this pulpit, because God has been gracious and he has given us a gift, um, which is to hear the word preached to a certain people from a certain person. You're going to say something. Excellent point, and I want to, but I want to add another danger. Okay. To that, and that is, what do we mean by better? Mm -hmm. It's very easy then to slip into the trap of tailoring your understanding of the scriptures according to your taste, not yes. according to the actual message. Right. And one thing we have to fight against, and I'm just going to put it in different language, is consumerism. Okay, so uh, that's what Rex is talking about, is tailoring things to our taste. So, for instance, uh, not everybody has the same taste in music. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, uh, so, uh, so that's okay. Uh, but we don't judge the type of music based on its aesthetic, necessarily. We should judge it based on what it's saying. Is it about Christ? Is it about his glory? Is it about who he is? It's about who we are in light of him, what he's done, those kind of things. Um, if it's void of those things, then, or if it's ambiguous, then you probably should throw it out. Like, uh, that's why we're trying, we're really, really explicit here about what we sing. <laughs> we sing very Christ-centered, God-exalting, Christ-exalting uh, music. And the reason why is because that's all that we can bind your conscience to. <laughs> it's what the Bible says about Jesus. And so that's, that's where I'm going to leave that. Um, number two, uh, the last place that I wanted to talk about you can hear is through this one particular podcast. And so now I, I'm not going to go against exactly what I said. 
But if you want to know a good way of hearing the scriptures and reading the scriptures for yourself, because I think that's what this podcast is directed at, it's called Bible Talk by Nine Marks. Okay, Bible Talk by Nine Marks. And what they do is they've been going through the entire um, Torah. They started in Genesis. They're in, they've gone through Judges. They're about to start First Samuel. Okay, so, um, and they're just going through every book of the Bible. And they're talking about hard passages that are in their chapter they're talking about or the section they're talking about. But they're really trying to show you how the Bible connects to itself. From Genesis to Revelation, all of the scriptures speak of one thing. And how does it speak of that one thing? So that's their their goal. Um, If you ever hear me teach and you go, I think I've heard that from somewhere before. I probably didn't get it from me. Um, I probably heard it or I heard at least the way to go there. Um, from someone else, like my good friend and professor, Dr. Hamilton. So, um, who is not doing anything new by himself either. He's just doing what every other good theologian has done before. So, podcast Bible Talk by Nine Marks. That's a good one. Um, all right. With that, let's hear. Let's uh, go into the next point, which is we've heard God's word. Hearing God's word is important, but we also must read God's word. And so this is where we're going to spend the most of the next, uh, the whole hour, the whole 45 minutes that we have left, or the next 30 minutes that we have left. Sorry, I realized what time it is. And, uh, all right, with that, I want, can someone read for me 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Awesome. So, um, not only are the words of the Bible from God himself, but we learn in these verses that they are there to help us grow in holiness and to equip us to do good in this life. Not, so it's not just mere information. It's actually there to help us grow in our sanctification. Remember, that's the whole reason why we're even looking at this study. In fact, the whole thing is called How to Grow. Um, nice and simple. How to Grow. Um, and this is, God's Word is there so that it might teach us um, how to do good in this life and to grow in our holiness. To take this a step further, we learn that the person who practices and applies these words has all he needs, right? He or she needs for training in righteousness. They are, in other words, sufficient, sufficient for our lives. So the Bible itself alone, on its own word, is sufficient for, to accomplish the task that it's set out for, which is growing you in godliness and equipping you for every good work. Okay, that makes sense to everybody? Okay. Knowing the value of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word should motivate us to read it regularly. And Jesus often asked, have you not read? Haven't you read in the law? Um, The scriptures say, he assumed that those claiming to be the people of God would have read the word of God so they would hear it and they would respond in kind. In Matthew 22, 31, 32, Jesus says to the religious teachers, and as, as for the resurrection of the dead, 
Have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Is that, do you hear why, why that's important? He's not a God who speaks dead language to dead people. He's a living God who enlivens his people with his living word. Jesus himself was a diligent reader of God's word. He knew the scriptures well, and he would often say, it is written to, the answer, to answer his questioners or his accusers. What's the most famous passage? Can you, I mean, anybody from VBS, what did we do the last day? He said, it is written three times. Anybody? Anybody? Sorry. <clears throat> Temptation to Christ. Thank you. Temptation to Jesus. It, what did Jesus? Jesus didn't do anything novel. He just quoted scripture back to Satan. Because why? It's God's word. It's powerful. And he knew it. He could. So we should follow God's example here. We should follow Jesus' example here. When the temptation came, he used God's, he used God's word to combat it. We need to regularly be steeping ourselves in God's word so that when questions arise or discouragement sets in or sin comes knocking or a friend comes to us in a need, need of truth or an opportunity to share the gospel presents itself, we are able to answer. It's not only for those positive things, but even when we grow weak, when we grow desperate, when frustrations of life begin to blind us to God's promises, or we find ourselves in desperate need of grace, we need to be able to teach ourselves by, I'm not sure what that was, uh, teach ourselves what Scripture says by having it stored up in our hearts or knowing where to find it in His Word. God's word is so important to our souls because it is the thing that actually uh, is used by the Spirit to grow us up into the image of Christ. There is no other thing that God uses um, so directly. He does use life, life experience, right, to show us how one way to do things and one, one way to do it and one way not to do it, right? But he does not use it primarily in that um, or even... Um, as the primary source of how to live according to the scriptures, right? Because you still have to know the scriptures to know what is right, what is wrong. Or be in good fellowship with someone who does. So, here's the, here's the kicker. If you're like me, you fully intend on reading your Bibles. But, and, and you know you do need to do it, but, the often, but often what happens is we kind of fall flat on like that thing, which is reading the scriptures on a daily basis. Right? We find ourselves distracted or tired or any of the number of things. So if Bible reading is so important, the question is how do we establish consistency in doing it? And so I want to give you um, some practical suggestions on how to make time or how to make this a consistent thing in your life. Uh, number one, Create the time. If you wake up, if you have to wake up at six to be at work at seven, then wake up at five thirty so that you might feed on God's word at some point in the morning. You might be like, "Corey, I'm not awake." Then wake up at five so you can have those thirty minutes to wake up, and then hit up, hit the word. Here's the deal: you don't have to be uh, a theologian with six books out to read your read your Bible. Can I tell you what I do? Um, and this is one of the more, I think. This is the way that I've come to read the scriptures on a normal basis. And, and not just for the time's sake, 
but because it actually applies to my life right then. Um, it's not like reading Judges and going, everybody did what was right in their eyes. You know, and then you have to figure out, okay, what is the sin that I'm trying to nail down here? And, and, and think too hard. I go through five psalms a day, every day. If you do the math, there's 30 days in a week, or 30 days in a month. And if you multiply it 30 times five, anybody throw public, public math? 150. One, how many psalms are there? 150. So guess what? If you read five psalms a day, number one, you're hearing God's word. Number two, you're hearing God's word and in a way that he intended you to be able to um, hear it and to also respond through life. So what we just did earlier was reading um, Psalm 119, 73. One of the big promises of this is, your hands have made and fashioned me. So he created everything. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. If he made me and fashioned me, he can give me understanding. And so the psalmist asks for that understanding. right? But if, and if you've been reading God's word, if you've been in these five psalms, you're going to encounter Psalm 119, which, by the way, is a lot of reading in one day. But um, don't let that get you down. Do it anyway. Um, and if you have to make it up in some other way, do it. Um, but the reason why I'm saying five psalms a day is because, number one, God intends for the Psalms and the Psalter, the whole Bible, to apply to your life. Number two, you see the Bible actually being applied to David's heart and to the psalmist's heart in the scriptures through the Psalms. Okay, does, that, does that make sense? It also gives you the vocabulary of how to talk to God in your own prayer life. And it gives you the, own, your, the right vocabulary on how to deal with life, life's depressing and difficult and beautiful and joyous and everything in the middle um, expressions through life. It gives you everything that you need to be able to express yourself in a godly manner. And I said godly manner, and if you read Psalm 137, it still does say, um, when he's talking about his foes, uh, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Yes, there's still a place for that kind of language. No, it should not be somebody who just like was cutting you off in track. Um, and preparatory songs have their songs have their place, but it does grant you the ability to have God's language for your world right now. Okay, so five songs a day. Um, today is the 18th, and so you were reading um, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 86, to Psalm 70, or 90. Wow, I can't even do my math right. Um, but at 5 o'clock in the morning comes early, and after you've only slept for two hours, you don't really remember what you read. The whole point of this is if you do this every month, you're going to steep yourself in God's ways, and God's words, and God's language, right? Like, that's the whole point of doing the Psalms like this. Um, and then it's my second tip for this is to read through the book of the Bible that we're preaching through. So, if you're reading the Psalms and you're having a way to respond to God, respond to his world, uh, those five days, and then you are anticipating the preached word, right, by listening to that scripture, whatever that is, over and over. I'm not talking about reading, okay, the day we're doing 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 17. I'm not talking about just those seven verses. I'm talking about the whole of 1 Corinthians, make it your goal to read through it at least once a week. And the reason why is because when he preaches through 1 Corinthians, 
you'll be able to go, ah, I see it. I heard that. Why does why, that connects now? When before, head coverings didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but now, head coverings make some sense. Sort of. Um, but at least you hear what's happening in 1 Corinthians, and you've heard it throughout the week. So if you hear me, what I'm saying is a good place to start, five psalms a day, and read a portion of that book that we're preaching through. And, and those two places are good places to start. And then if you have more time, pick up a Bible reading plan. And just go through the Bible reading plan in a year. Uh, those are good places. But you have to, number one, take the time to do it. You have to create the time every day to read the Bible. And the reason why is because if you don't, you will inevitably find yourself in a situation responding and reacting in a way that the Bible would condemn. Not that you won't do that when you read the Bible, but at least you'll be able to repent of it when you see it. Does that make sense? The Bible gives you a, a sounding board in a way. So if you were to read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, you'd get through, through the Bible every year at least one time. But in the way that I'm talking about, you're going to be steeped in the scriptures in such a way that you'll be able to respond to what he is saying from the pulpit, or I am saying from the pulpit, or Forrest is saying from the pulpit, in a way that is totally, in a way that you just would not otherwise. Um, if you're reading, and I don't know how to explain this, but the context of which you get when you read the whole book at one time or through the week, and then you hear it preached on, is impressively huge. Like, other than, other than it being something that I'm recommending and I do every week, I'm, I'm, I want you to try it. It, it doesn't matter if you are doing a Bible reading plan or whatever. Try it. See what happens. Because you might hear the scriptures just come alive in a different way. So, but you have to create the time to do it. And that's a big deal. Create the time. Number one, find a Bible reading plan or a system. We just talked about plans and systems. Um, if you want a plan... I'm going to give you one right now. It's called the Robert Murray McShane plan. What it does is it takes you through the Old Testament once and the New Testament and the Psalms twice per year. So it, it does something similar to what I'm saying, but in a more expansive way. Um, and that's, that's a great one, the Robert Murray McShane. Uh, if you get Table Talk magazine, at the very bottom... There is a read the Bible through the year um, little suggestion also. There's also many, many, many other Bible reading plans. So there's chronological, which I just can't do. Um, oh, that's so good, though. I just that can't do so it. Good, though. Can't do it. Uh, tried, done it. I tried, done it one year. I just found myself going, okay, yes, yes. And the rest of Genesis says, and yes, yes. Like, so good way to think about it. Um, just to, while you're thinking yes. on, on the chronological one it will, for me it really opened up the Bible and made things make a lot more sense yes. because of how it sequentially actually goes through it and you see it through time how God builds his people crushes them, builds them again crushes them, builds them again and then starts to build his church in this beautiful just true arc of time when God brings redemption to his people. It's, it was it was my favorite way to read through it was, it was chronological. So you so might not, own, but it might be great for somebody else. Yeah. I like the way that it puts the, especially the minor prophets in context. Yes. Oh yes. It really did. Because if you just by themselves, it's just endless misery. 
And also by itself, they don't realize that Isaiah is is taken from Amos and and like and Obadiah and like these two like they go before Isaiah. Isaiah is just using the language of the minor prophets. Jeremiah is talking during these specific things that are happening that you read. Okay, there are many many perks to chronological reading. (laughs) Well, also like when you mentioned reading through whatever we're preaching on in a week or doing it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody in Corinth took four months to get to Paul's letter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those letters were intended to be read as a whole. Yes. So if you're not reading them as a whole, you yes. miss that you're being yelled at for most of Corinthians. Yes. Like you miss the thrust of the message. Yeah. It's almost a oh, foolish Galatians yeah. um, kind of letter, but with, with some... Um... I see, I don't think he's softening much of it in most of it. <laughs> I, think it's a little... I think it goes like that. Oh, okay. Not okay. so much for weddings. I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, for Corinthians 13 is not necessary for weddings, for the church. The comment that I'd make, though, is others have said you can read a proverb a day, too, with the Psalms. But the other one is for maybe new believers, and if you're working with a new believer, oh, yeah. is the Gospel of John, yeah, read plus it. 1 John, 2 and 3 John, and that's 28 days. Which basically, you know, February. Yeah. <laughs> such. But if you do it that way, reading, because John, you know, presents him, you know, Christ, and then you can find out the fellowship through First John. Oh, yeah. And second, third John. And we're gonna we're gonna actually do John right after this study in this room. So if you want to start and get a head start, Gospel of John, um, <clears throat> for adult discipleship. Sorry, I don't have my normal screen back there, so I can't even tell what time it is until I look at my watch and I'm realizing we're behind. All right, um, so number, so we first, we need to hear it. Second, we need to read it. Third, we need to study God's word. And so this is where people get kind of lost. I think a lot of people get to the point where they're like, okay, I can read the Bible, um, but studying it, like, where do I go? What do I do? Why do I ask? What am I looking for? These are all questions that I think are, are legitimate questions that we all kind of, uh, we all strive to answer in different ways. When I say we, I mean like different pastors, different theologians, um, but we all have foundational questions that we ask of the text. And they're very similar if they're not the same. Uh, and you have, I think, all five questions, do you not, in your, in your notes? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you these five questions, and then I'm going to give you a, a secondary set of questions, okay? And because sometimes one set resonates with someone, and the other set resonates with another. Number one, what does the text say? This is just observations. What is being said of the scriptures, right? Um, and you need to make careful observations of the text. So if we go back to Psalm 119... 73 through 80, well, I did, I did kind of this in many. Verse 73 says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. What is it saying? God has created me. And because he has created me, he knows more than I do. And because he knows more than I do, I can go to him and I can ask him questions. And he says, give me understanding. Right? Simple. Those are just two lines of the, the psalmist things. But he is that saying, give me understanding. And I've also given you understanding. He's created, and so he can give me understanding. And that's what the observations need to look like. So what does the text mean is number two. 
Now, what does the text mean? I'm going to talk about genre for a second. And so, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here. But I do want to impress upon you that there is a difference between a psalm, a proverb, a narrative, an epistle, and apocalyptic literature. There is differences between them two, how they talk, how they put forth truth, how they um, interact with other texts around them. These are all different types of literature. And so let's, let's look at one, psalms. Are psalms, let me ask you this question, are psalms truths to be lived by? Trick question. Yes and no. Properly applied. Yes, that, that's good. Yes. Because the imprecatory psalms are always the best thing. Properly applied are the right ones, right? So if we have an evil dictator uh, that we are praying against, that's probably a proper yes. time to pray a pre- imprecatory psalm. Your neighbor who doesn't cut his lawn. Not, not the right time. <laughs> right, not the right time. Um, or the one who's playing music until 6 a.m. Yes. Oh my. Um, So, but Psalms do provide certain things for us, which is language to deal with life's circumstances, and also language to talk to God, and and also how to. Martin Luther says that it's the whole of theology put into 150 these things, okay? 150 Psalms. And so if you you can get 150 of those Psalms underneath your belt, then you pretty much have a good systematic theology. It teaches you about God. Who, how humans are, how we should relate to God and humans, and then what to desire, what to love, what to change. These things are important to us. So identifying the genre of writing is important. The Proverbs are even harder to apply because train up a child the way he shall go and he shall not depart, depart from it has been a promise that people have claimed for so long, and when their child does not love Jesus, they think they did something wrong, or God is ignoring their, their problems. Proverbs are not made for you like that. The Proverbs are there as general guiding wisdom from the creator, the creator of the universe as to how his world normally and usually works. Okay? So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's probably a pretty close thing to truth. Um, it's definitely wisdom. The one who says there is no God is a fool. Um, but it is not to say that that fool cannot be saved. Or that fool is so far gone that um, we won't have any communion or whatever. Um, so the problem is you've got to be careful about how you apply them. Um, yes, if you train up a child the way she, he shall go, he probably won't depart from it. But he that, that child is his individual or her individual <coughs> self. And whatever plan God has for that person is that plan that God has for that person. You cannot change that plan. Um, but we can strive to do what is right in the midst of it. So I think epistles are easy. Writings, letters, 1 Corinthians is very easy to understand. Uh, and, and on two points, a letter is an occasional writing. Okay, so it's written on purpose for an occasion. Okay, uh, and occasionally means that there's this thing that has happened, and so I'm going to write this letter to address it. And when we get to 1 Corinthians, what is it, five or seven? Uh, you have a man who has committed adultery with his father's wife. So uh, we got a problem, and they're they're not just they're not like just saying, oh, you know, yeah, that's a bad sin. They're saying 
Yes, we have freedom. No, you don't. Not even the pagans approve of that, that kind of nonsense. And so you're going to hear that talked about, but in the writing, it's on current occasions. Okay? Uh, let's go to narrative. Narrative is probably the most open of all these, but a narrative teaches us something. It's got to teach us something. It's got to teach us in a way that it shows us who we are in the midst of God's story. That's kind of where this is. And if you reflect on my last sermon, which I was not very happy with and how it came across, um, I still got to pull across the two points of, are you like Jacob? or not? Yeah, are you like Jacob, stuck in your past? Or are you like Joseph, acting and walking faithfully in Christ? So those two things are, were, were what I was going after. Not so succinctly did I say it. Um, but there is a, a level of, of uh, a narrative opens up like how this can be applied. One thing you have to really force yourself not to do with narratives is to allegorically like say this stands for this and this stands for this. And a parable is really easy to do that with, by the way. So try really hard not to do that with parables unless the Bible has done that with a certain parable. Most, most, in most cases, parables have been interpreted in the Bible themselves. So you have to pay attention to what the Bible is saying about that parable. Not try to make your own things. That's all I've got on genre. Genre matters. Um, I could talk about Revelation for hours, but I do want to warn you. Revelation is a much more complicated book than most people give it credit for, and it is borrowing so much Old Testament language that if you don't know your Old Testament, you ain't going to understand Revelation. It's just like Hebrews. You won't, you won't understand what's going on if you don't know your minor prophets. <laughs> because that's where it's getting most of its language from. Um, and if you read Revelation and then read John, you might actually get some light shed on it that you didn't expect. Um, because I have reasons. Anyway. Um, genre means it is a lot and it matters. Uh, historical, cultural, and literary background. Okay, so those things matter. Can I ask you, where would you find this information? What's a good resource for historical, cultural, and literary background? Well, yes, the Bible itself. But what kind of resource that is mostly faithful to the scriptures, or would strive to be faithful to the scriptures, is it one that you can use to figure out what this is and what it means? Commentary. A commentary? Yes. What about more basic? You, not everybody has a commentary or a Matthew Henry full-on thing, but a lot of people have these things. A study Bible. A study Bible. Um, can I can I recommend one to you? I don't particularly like the NIV, uh, specifically this this version, the NIV 2011. I think is what it is now, but. Uh, the Grace and Truth Study Bible is excellent as for its notes and for its commentary and for all of its things. It does the historical, cultural, literary background very, very well. And it does a very good job of connecting that passage outside of, or to multiple places within Scripture. So, we commend to you. Uh, the Grace and Truth Study Bible, another one is the ESV Study Bible. That's great also. Um, those two are extremely good, and they will give you a good understanding. At the very beginning of your chapter, every chapter, or every book, rather, it gives you this 
whole layout of what is Lamentations? What does it mean? Where is it written? What's our best guess as the author? Uh, all these all these things. What, what even? How does it even connect to Christ? And some, this one will do that. Um, the ESV Study Bible will do that too, and it'll show you like broad context. How does these? How do these books connect to Christ? It'll even show you divisions and all these other things. Uh, the text, anyway. A good study Bible. It'll also you need to know how does the passage's syntax and the outline of that passage matter. Can I be honest with you? Uh, number one is if you do not understand a word uh, within the Bible, the best thing to do is look around the whole of that paragraph or that section to see what that Bible, what that section is saying about that word. Okay, so if we're talking about righteousness, righteousness is used in many different ways throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. It's not always talking about righteousness in the sense of um, salvific righteousness. Okay, sometimes it's talking about righteousness in the way that we act and those kinds of things. Uh, you can only figure that out via the context of that passage. If you don't understand how the, all of it's working together, then righteousness can always mean salvific righteousness, in which case we've called Saul righteous, as in he was saved. Uh, but Saul proves himself to be a man of God according to God's timeline, and then also not a man of God according to God's timeline. So we have to be careful about how we apply certain words and understanding of certain things, um, Specifically, because I'm saying a Jick dictionary won't tell you how it's used in the middle of 1 Samuel. Right? A dictionary is not going to tell you, it's going to tell you a base way that we use it now. And if you go to the archaic meanings, you might actually find something that is something a little bit different, right? But you need to understand the context. You need to be able to locate the text in redemptive history. I'm giving you a lot of things, and I'm realizing as I'm reading these within the what does the text mean heading, that this is where people mostly get tripped up. Because they don't know, like, historical context, redemptive history, I don't know these terms. And that's okay. Let me be honest with you. Um, it, it, that is okay. A good study Bible will help you with that. Another good thing, and I recommend this everywhere, is Asking the Right Questions, this book right here. Asking the Right Questions by Matthew Harmon has not only a bunch of questions on how to understand the Bible and read the Bible well, and to apply it to our lives. But it also gives you a chapter on um, how does the Bible talk to us in the story we find ourselves in. So the redemptive context, right? Um, it also talks to us in how it shows us how um, our how we are to understand various genres of Scripture. And then it shows us how do we read the Bible like Jesus did and the apostles did and all these things? But we're talking about in eight pages per chapter with lots of space. We're not talking about like really hard reading. We're just talking about simple and what I love, I love about this book more is I've learned more about hermeneutics in, here, in these eight questions that this book brings out than I have learned in how many hours of systematic theology and hermeneutics that we take. A lot. Uh, a lot. Um, I'm going to go with a lot. But this is simple enough, and also, not just simple, edifying. Right? In a way that you probably would be like, ah, I don't need another book to tell me about where you have to read the Bible. 
Yes, you do. This is the one. Uh, I promise that it will help you. I have, um, I have two, two right here to give away. If you would like one, slip your hand up. I will give it to you. We got two right there. There you go. These are simple and they are great. So I'm going to talk about the, the system that he uses after I get through this system in a second. Well, maybe not today, because we're just going to wrap up. Forrest is telling me, get it done. Move on. I'm not telling you that, I'm just telling you what time to work. But I'll, I'll add that when you're beginning, sometimes it's just easier just to read the scriptures yeah, read and go from there. Yeah. And God will prompt you when you need to dive deeper. So while it's overwhelming to hear the list that you just gave yeah. to a new believer or somebody who's just new to it, it's not necessarily you dive that far into the deep end. Yeah, when we talk about studying God's word, we're talking about step three, right? We hear, we read, and we study. And the studying part is what strips us up. So let's let's talk about these five questions and then we're gonna pray. Because I wanna wanna actually get through all five. What does the text say? What does the text mean? What concerns cause this text to be written? That's a big one. What do I share in common with the original audience or the human author of this text? It's about understanding ourselves in the line of scripture. Um, and then how do I now respond to the truths of this text? Okay. Um, Asking the Right Questions by Matthew Harmon is probably the most accessible of those books that I could recommend to you. Uh, but there are other good ones, especially in the systematic realm. For instance, The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bobbing. We're doing that in, on Thursday mornings, starting back up in July, July because June has been crazy. Um, yeah, that's, those are another place that we can learn to read the scriptures well, and you learn to read it with the saints that have gone before us. Um, with that... Next week, we will talk a little bit more about these questions and then talk about the other set of questions. But right now, we're going to be done. Can I just add one thing? Yes. So for the, for the what does it mean, something that our GC has been talking about a lot while we're going through Acts is, is the passage telling you to do something or just telling you about something that happened? Yeah, we call them prescriptive or descriptive. Exactly. So like a prescription, like someone writes a prescriptive uh, prescription for you and says, take this. There's prescriptive passages like that take your medicine. And then there's other ones, descriptive passages like, hey, this is how they did it. Hey, the prophets came down and said these things in front of Paul versus go down and these things and this is what you should do with it. Yes. There's a big difference. Big difference. And if you don't understand the difference between those two, um, it does take a little bit of effort to... To see those, especially in a narrative like you gotta that. think, you have to think through it. But it it really helps me at least figure out. Okay, is this really something that I'm supposed to do going forward? Like, am I supposed to be speaking in tongues every time I walk into the church, or is this just something that happened because of the movement of the spirit at that time? There's a big difference in the application. And we have an answer. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna pray on that note. Oh, Father, we are blessed by you, that you've given us understanding of your word and your world. And we pray that you would continue to impress upon us the importance of communing with you daily, and that we might read our Bibles with the eyes of um, open children, that we might listen to your word, and we might do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen.